Our Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study together. And when we deal with these type of subjects, we need your spirit to quicken our minds. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just for the sake of those of you who uh, were not in the last class, uh, I'm announcing this not for the purpose of getting you to buy the book, but just to let you know that the book is available. Uh, it's called Gaining Decisions for Christ. Uh, I wrote this book because a lot of people don't understand the dynamics of decisions. And so uh, even though you hear, sit in a seminar, there are things that you catch and things that you don't catch. And the more you read, the more you see other things that you did not see before. So it's Gaining Decisions for Christ. Um, I also wrote a little book. It's little, but it's very packed. It has a hundred texts, difficult texts that are difficult to understand. And the reason why they're small, with small print. Can you see that? No, she can't. So I'll lend you my glasses. But anyway, it's, I wrote them with small print so that uh, it's small enough you can put it in your pocket. That was the purpose of it. So you can carry it in your purse, in your pocket. Uh, so when you witness or give Bible studies and somebody throws you a text that's difficult to explain, you can just find the text here because it goes from Genesis to Revelation. Okay? Uh, many texts that people have questions on that you yourself may have questions on. And uh, so, and by the way, it's, it's $5. Uh, and as, as I said, I put it this way, and a lot of Bible workers now that are using it have told me that it's been very useful to them because it actually deals with the kind of text that people are using in the streets. Uh, this, is, this is something that I put together because in our school, the Mission College, uh, we're constantly dealing with difficult texts because we're teaching the students how to witness. And one of the things is that they're afraid. Is, well, what if somebody throws me a question I can't explain? Okay? A new book that just came out are stories for illustrations for public appeals. And uh, those stories I've collected through the years from my own experience uh, and others. Uh, because a lot of Bible workers or, or gospel workers or ministers or evangelists uh, have asked me, uh, can you help me with an illustration, a story for an appeal? And many have said, where do you get stories for appeals? You know? And so what I've done is put those stories together that I use in my evangelistic meetings with the appeals, with the actual verbiage of the appeal. So that uh, if you don't know what to say, at least you can read it, see what it says. And then if you can't form it in your own words, you can at least memorize what the appeal is and make the appeal. Okay? So that book would be at, at the, it's supposed to be here today. It'll be at the booth. I don't have it right with me. Is that your question? Okay. Yeah, it, it didn't, uh, it was supposed to show up yesterday, but you know how it goes. All right, let's consider the subject at hand. We prayed already, didn't we? All right. Sometimes I do that in class and the students don't remember that I prayed. So then I, do uh, you remember what I said? No, and I say, oh yeah, we did pray. All right. Uh, let's consider making those public calls. Okay. First of all, when you deal with making public calls, uh, you have to understand that uh, they are as essential, that is, public calls are as essential as 
pulling in the line once the fish is hooked or gathering the fruit once it is ripe. Okay? How many of you have been fishing? Any of you have gone fishing? All right, when you go fishing, what happens when the fish gets hooked? Hmm? Well, you have, what do you have to do? You have to start what? Reeling it in, right? Correct? If you don't reel it in, what happens with the fish? If you don't reel it in, it can turn around and have more strength to break your line, right? Or it can dive into some rocks or something, and then you've lost your line, etc. So, it's important then that once the fish is hooked, you have to pull in the line. Once the fruit is ripe, you have to gather it, okay? So, notice the council. At the close of how many? Every meeting decision should be what? Called for. The close of how many? Every meeting. Okay. Uh, there are misconceptions concerning making public appeals. But first I want to read to you the truth and then I'll give you the misconceptions, okay? Notice what it says. For the secret of what? Our success and power as a people advocating what? Advanced truth will be found in making direct and personal what? Appeals. To those, pardon me, yeah, to those who are interested having unwavering lines upon the most high. Okay, there are three things here that I need to highlight. Number one, the first point is that in every discipline there is a secret. Right up here, young lady. I know who you're looking for. She's right here. Raja, how are you? So good to see you. That's why I called her young lady, because I know who she was. Okay. Notice it says a secret. Uh, in every discipline there are secrets. For example, if you're a guitar player, there are techniques that you uh, learn to help the individual know how to play guitar better. I remember one time uh, at Mission College, Jeffrey, the Rosario kids were studying there at Mission College. And uh, they came and said to me, Pastor, teach us how to play Via de la Rosa. I said, uh, do you know how to tune the guitar? No. I said, well, first let me teach you how to tune the guitar. And then we'll teach you how to play via the Rosa later. <laughs> so, so people uh, don't understand that there are certain things that you have to learn in order to become efficient or proficient in a certain area. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in every discipline, uh, there are secrets, or people call them tricks to the trade. Have you heard of that term? Tricks to the trade. Uh, and it makes a difference between a successful person or a person that doesn't succeed. For example, my wife was a concert violinist and she's taught several people to, to um, uh, play violin. Um, she's given some guidance to, to uh, people who are today concert violinists in, in symphonic orchestras. Uh, but she can look at a violin player 
and she can tell if that violin player has been taught proper technique or not by the way that person plays the violin. And so uh, when I look at guitar players, I can tell you if they're limited or if they're going to succeed in expanding their abilities simply by the techniques that they have. Okay? Uh, so in medicine, there are certain things that you have to learn. Is that correct, Raja? Yeah, certain things that you have to learn in order to be successful in medicine. The same thing in preaching. Notice it says the secret. So here you now discover the secret of successful preaching. What is it? Notice it doesn't say the secret is, is organizing your sermon well. Do you notice that? Notice it doesn't say the secret is putting all sorts of Bible texts into the topic. What's the secret? Making, Making what? Direct and what? Personal. Now notice that there are two, two things there. Direct and personal. Okay. Appeals. And also, notice it says, having what? Unwavering what? Reliance upon the Most High. Okay? So, you have to learn to make direct personal appeals and believe that you are making the appeals because God has asked you to. You're not there representing yourself. You're there representing whom? God. Okay? And if you have that sense about you, then it's not about you. All right? It's about the person. Let me share with you. I, I went to be a pastor of a large church. In fact, there was 650 members. And they had an associate pastor who had been there for, it was going to be about two years. And... So when I went there to be the senior pastor, I sat down with my assistant to get acquainted with him. And one of the questions I asked him was this, how many souls have you won since you've been in ministry? And his response was, that's not my gift. It's not my calling. Now I know that you're wondering, how could a pastor say it's not his calling? But that's what he said to me. And to be honest with you, I was not anticipating that response. I was anticipating, well, one or two or three, you know. But that's not my calling. I was taken back by that. So I said, uh, so what is your calling? Oh, he said, my calling is visiting the, the uh, people in the hospital and working with the youth. I said, well... That's a role that you've chosen to play, but that's not the calling. And he said, don't try to give me a guilt trip. That's not my calling. Couldn't believe that. So I tried to finish off with him on a, you know, positive end. You understand what I'm saying? And the next day, the conference president called me up and he said, what in the world is going on up there? I said, I don't know what's going on. He says, your uh, assistant called and wants to be moved. Oh, I said, you don't want to do that. El Karua was his name, the president. I said, you don't want to do that, El Karua. He said, why not? I said, because I asked him the question, how many souls has he won since he'd been in ministry? And he said, that's not his calling. What? Conference president said. 
I said, now you know why he wants to move. Oh. I said, don't move him. Leave him here. Okay, you got him, he said. <laughs> so, next day I took my head elder to visit the young whippersnapper, you know. <laughs> and uh, I visited with him. And the head elder said, told, gave him good advice. And uh, then I said to the young man, uh, well, you're not moving. You're staying with me. You're stuck with me. He was not very happy with that. And the thing is that the young man was a very, very, very articulate speaker. Uh, he was very fluid with his words. Um, had a nice, rich, mellow bass tone. When he spoke, there was resonance in his voice, you know. And so his wife sang beautifully, she played the flute. I mean, they were a very attractive couple, and uh, he preached very well. No appeals. So uh, I said, I want you to hold an evangelistic meeting. <laughs> His voice cracked. Me? He said, I said, yes, you. He said, I don't have any equipment. I said, I'll lend you mine. I don't have any sermons. I said, I'll lend you mine. But he couldn't get out of it. So I sent him up to a little town to hold some meetings. And he, he did so because, you know, he was stuck. He couldn't go anyplace. Conference president wouldn't have him, and, and he was stuck with me. So he went and held that meeting. And I didn't visit him because I didn't want to trouble the young lad. Uh, I decided to go toward the end of the meeting. So I got there at the end of the meeting, and uh, excellent sermon. I mean, the guy preached, you know, no appeal. And while he was preaching, I could see at least four people in the audience who were being moved who had felt they had made the appeal, they would have responded. He didn't make the appeal. So after the meeting, I went up to him and I said, what happened? How come you didn't make an appeal? He said, for what? I said, if you had made an appeal, at least four people would have responded. Where? I said, well, look, tomorrow's your last night. I want you to make an appeal, okay? Me? I said, yes, you. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll even write it out for you. And if it doesn't work, you can blame me. How's that? All right. Well, the way he said, all right, I knew he was not happy with me. So the next night I went, and again he preached a fiery sermon, but when he came to the appeal, I could sense he got nervous. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, I noticed that he kind of backed away from it, like somebody taking flying lessons and coming in for the first landing. You know what I'm saying? He got nervous, and he mm, took off. He kind of just flew around, you know what I'm saying? Rambled. And finally, he decided he better come for that appeal. He came back for the appeal, got nervous again, took off again. And I began to pray to the Lord to help him land it. <laughs> and so finally, he read the appeal. And to his shock, those four people stood up. And he was led to tears. I talked to him afterward. I said, Bob, praise the Lord. And he was crying. I said, Bob, I want you to baptize these people. They're the first fruits of your ministry. So he baptized them. I called up the president. I said, okay, elder, you're going to have them. So he got transferred to his own district. As soon as he landed, he called me up. He said, Elder Torres, what are you doing with your equipment? I said, why? He said, can I use it again? He got the taste of blood, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so what was the problem? He was afraid. He was what? Afraid. He was afraid. Okay. 
And many people don't make appeals because they're afraid, oh, they have misconceptions. Not my calling. Not my what? My calling. Another misconception. I was uh, teaching uh, homeschoolers up in Leone Meadows, about 120 homeschoolers in those days. And I was asked to teach those kids how to, how to get a, a decisions. So I was teaching a group of kids and uh, there were two ladies that were standing in the back and they were kind of agitated. I could sense that you know, there was something wrong. Didn't know what it was, but they, they were kind of just you know, pacing back and forth. When I finished, those two ladies came to me and the first question raised was, who do you think you are? Louis Torres, why? <laughs> How dare you trying to teach our kids to be the Holy Spirit? I said, I'm sorry? Excuse me? How dare you trying to teach our kids to be the Holy Spirit? I said, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to teach you. Yes, you are. It's not our work to get decisions. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Our work is just to witness. And the Spirit of God will lead people to make their decisions. I said, no, that's not the way I understand it. Well, the, the ladies thought, I mean, they really thought that I was being uh, arrogant about my position. And I was not. I just saw that I understood things that they didn't. They left in a huff. And later on, about three months later, I got a telephone call for one of those ladies. She was crying on the phone. And uh, she came from Loma Linda. She happened to be a physician's wife. Both of them were. And she said to me, my pastor had never made an appeal until this past Sabbath. And I was so moved that I went forward. And when I went forward, then I remembered what we have said to you. And I'm calling you to tell you that we were wrong. Forgive us. Okay. Misconceptions. What are there? Misconceptions. And as long as people have misconceptions, it will hinder them. It will what? Hinder them. Either from making personal appeals or public appeals. Okay? So, the secret. The what? The secret of our success. How many of you want to have success? Okay, then what should you do? Learn the secret. Learn the what? Secret. Learn the secret. And know how to do it. Okay? So, in every discourse, fervent. What does the word fervent mean? Cold? Hot? Okay. Yeah, the word fervent, ferviente, comes from the Latin, which means hot, heat. Okay. Warm appeals or fervent appeals should be made to the people to forsake their sins. In other words, uh, if you're going to make an appeal, it has to carry with it a certain conviction that you uh, have concerning what you're presenting. And if you come across with that certain conviction, then there's a good chance the Spirit of God can impart that conviction into the heart of those who are hearing, and therefore they can make decisions, okay? Now, there are souls in every congregation. How many? 
every congregation who are hesitating, almost what? Persuaded. Persuaded to be holy for whom? For God. Okay. But notice it says, the decision is being made for time and for eternity, but it is too often the case that the minister has not the spirit and power of the message of truth in his own heart. Hence, no direct appeals are made to those souls that are trembling in the balance. I was saying this, sharing this idea with some ministers in Australia. I was there up in Brisbane. It was Wednesday morning when I was talking about this. And I said, the reality is that in many congregations there are people who have not made decisions simply because appeals have not been made. Then I was t telling them about one particular situation where there was this man who was attending the church in that church that I went to, and uh, the man had been uh, attending for 10 years. He looked like an Adventist, he talked like an Adventist, he lived like an Adventist. It's like that old saying, if he walks and quacks and looks like a duck, then it must be a duck, right? So he, uh, he walked and talked and looked the Adventist message. So I thought he was a brother in the church, already a member. As I sat to chat with him, I said, so when did you become a member? He said, I'm not a member. I said, I'm sorry? He said, I'm not a member here. I said, you're not? He said, no. So how long have you been there? Ten years? I mean, you've been attending the church for ten years? I said, uh, what about the, the message? Oh, it's biblical. So you keep the Sabbath? Of course you keep the Sabbath. That's the day of rest. And what about Sabbath? Yeah, I pay tithe. How can you rob God? You know, in other words, the guy is an Adventist. So I asked him the question, and I said, well, how come you haven't joined the church? He said, no one has ever asked me. When I heard that, what do you think I did? Well, I'm asking. I said, what would keep you from becoming? He said, nothing. I said, wonderful, we'll plan out the Sabbath. He said, great. <laughs> that was it. Now, the, the interesting thing is that when I was saying that, there were pastors in the audience. I mean, I was teaching pastors, right, uh, in the workers' meeting. There were, there were those pastors who didn't believe that what I was saying was true. And so Wednesday night, they went to their churches to do their prayer meetings and came back Thursday morning, see? So one of the pastors came up to me. He was kind of, kind of embarrassed about it. He said, I've got to talk to you. I said, sure. He said, uh, you know when you're talking about people being in, in the audience and not yet? He said, I thought, he's making up stories. You know, that doesn't happen. But it bothered him. So he said, when I went to prayer meeting, I was telling the folk about getting trained on all that. And that the pastor was talking about certain people who were not baptized in the church. And that uh, he thought they were, but they really weren't. And uh, so four people raised their hands and said, well, we're not baptized. <laughs> He was shocked. He said, I thought they were church members. And he said, he said, thank you for sharing that story. Because if I hadn't shared that last night, I would have still been assuming that these people were already committed and baptized. So, do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So, notice it says there are souls. In how many? In every congregation, hesitating, almost persuaded to be holy for God. I remember one time... Uh, I don't know how many of you were in Anna Arbor when there was a GYC that took place there. Any of you were present in Ann Arbor? Okay. And I was asked to preach instead of somebody else who couldn't make it. I remember that somebody couldn't make it and I was asked to preach 
uh, Sabbath afternoon or something. And I said, under one condition, they said, what's that? That I can make an appeal. I said, are you guys ready? Do you have cards? Well, we don't have decision cards. We better get something then. They're going to preach. They're going to make an appeal. So I don't know what they did, but they got stuff together. So I made, it, made an appeal. Because all the meetings, there was not an appeal made. Okay? They preached wonderful messages, wonderful messages, wonderful messages. But generally speaking, the appeals were general. They were what? General. The general. But what's the advice? Personal. Direct and personal. personal. Okay. What's the counsel? Direct and personal. personal. So I kept on hearing these general appeals. You know, I was saying, you know, we've got to do something more than that. We've got to make direct and personal. personal. So that's what I did. I made direct and personal appeals. And by God's grace, uh, we had a baptismal service that night. It was, a, it was at 12, 12 midnight, but we had a, a baptismal service that night. And 34 people were baptized. Amen. Okay. So there were how many in the audience? 34 that were, were what? Hesitating, almost what? Persuaded to be holy for God. The decision is not being made for time for eternity. But it's too often. Okay, now, notice it says, the result is that impressions are not deepened. If an appeal is not made, impressions are not deepened, okay, upon the hearts of the convicted ones. And they leave the meeting feeling what? Less inclined to accept the service of Christ than they, when they came. They decide to wait for a more favorable opportunity, but it never what? Never comes, okay. So how essential is this appealing thing? How essential is it? Very essential, all right? Very essential, all right? Now, now notice, the preacher himself must be what? Alive. He must have the earnestness of the Spirit. He must labor through Christ. He must make direct appeals. He must sound the alarm to the careless and world-loving professors, though they be displeased because their ears tingle with a close application of the truth. Thou art the man. General appeals are often made with how much? Little effect. Come close to heart arousing all to one. Act apart. How many of you have heard a pastor make an announcement and say, uh, we need this to be done. If any of you are interested, come see us, see us afterwards. <laughs> How many of you have heard that? Has it happened in your churches? How many people come to the pastor afterwards? <laughs> if they do come, it's usually the same people that usually respond to everything else. They're the ones, uh, the donkeys in the church carrying all the loads while everybody else is saying, go get them, guy. <laughs> right? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. But notice, when I, when I want something in my church done, I don't say how many of you would do that. I say, brother, we need you to do this. Can you do it? Amen. All right. Can you do it? Can you do it? All right. You understand? Direct and? Personal. Then personal appeal. All right. I remember in Palau, when I was a pastor in Palau, I needed a building chairman for the building program that we were going to build. You know what I did? I went over to one of the brethren and I said, brother, God has impressed me that you need to be the building chairman. Will you accept? Well, he looked at me and he, he said, well, let me pray about it. He was a governor, one of the governors in Palau. And afterward, he came up to me and said, I, I want to tell you honestly, I was upset with you. <laughs> He said, I didn't want to be building chairman, but because you came and talked to me personally, he said, it bothered me. And I tried to shake it, but I couldn't shake it. So he said, I, 
I guess I better do it. <laughs> you know what's amazing is that he took that position and uh, I left Palau because my wife got sick. We had to return back to the state. I had a dream about him that he would become president. And I got worried about the building project. So I didn't want to write him a letter because I, I thought, well, you know, false prophets. I write him a letter that he would become president. If it didn't happen, then, you know, I'd be a nonprofit organization, right? <laughs> so, so it kept troubling me. Finally, I decided to write. So I wrote the letter and I put a little phrase Nehemiah, don't forget the temple. I wrote. Didn't hear from the guy. Two years later, I got a telephone call from a pastor from Palau asking if I could go and dedicate the church. So I went to dedicate the church. When I arrived, it turned out that he was the president. The governor had become president. So when they took, took me to the presidential uh, building to meet with him, I said, I wrote you a letter three years ago, and I never heard from you. Why? He said, man, when I got that letter, I got nervous. <laughs> Can you imagine? He must have thought it was a, a, a modern-day prophet thing, you know? He said, he said, I got nervous. And he said, uh, I thought if I become president, how would I keep the Sabbath? And he said, he worried and worried and prayed and prayed and prayed until one day, as he was having devotions, it came to him. If I'm president, I set my own schedule. <laughs> so he became president. But he didn't write to me. I'll tell you why. Because he remembered, Nehemiah, don't forget the temple. And he said, I decided not to communicate with you until I had the temple finished. So he said, all right, I finished the temple, and now you fill it. <laughs> now, that was a pretty high calling because it was a 600 seating capacity temple, you understand? So I said, all right, what do you want me to do? I want you to preach. I said, okay. So I preached. He said, you preach and I'll bring the people. You're president of the country, you understand? <laughs> so I preached, he brought the people. And uh, after the, I was there for one week, I was supposed to be finished. I said, okay, I'm done. He said, no, you're not. <laughs> I said, I got to go back. I got appointments. He said, no, you're not. I said, well, uh, Mr. President, I got to go back to uh, Maryland. I got appointments. He said, call him up and tell him you're not coming. I said, but I got, no. He said, you're not leaving. He said, I'm not letting you off the island. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, he said, you got to preach some more. He said, there are too many people coming. They're responding. You can't go now. I said, all right. So I called up the folk and canceled out. Preach one more week by God's grace. Baptized 75 people. Now, the wonderful thing is this. On Wednesday, the king called me up. He said, I need to see you. So I went to see the king. He said, you know, I've been thinking about this. He says, I want to be baptized. And he says, I want to be the first in the baptistry. I said, praise the Lord. So I went to the president. I said, I got good news for you, Mr. President. Uh, he said, I said, uh, and then bad news also. Because he had told me also, he said, uh, I want to be the first in that baptistry. <laughs> so I said to him, I, I got good news and bad news. He said, give me the good news first. <coughs> the good news is the king decided to get baptized. Praise the Lord, he said. Well, what's the bad news? He wants to be first. <laughs> he said, oh. <laughs> and then he picked up his face and said, all right, but I'm second. <laughs> 
So by God's grace, I baptized him, baptized the king, and we baptized 75 souls there. All right. So, making appeals. Doing what? Making appeals. All right. So general appeals often are made with how much effect? Little effect. Okay. So you want to get responses, what do you do? Appeals. What kind of appeal? Specific appeal. Direct. Direct and? Personal. Personal appeal. What is it? Direct and personal. Personal appeal. All right. So, no one can tell what is lost by attempting to preach without what? The unction of the Holy Spirit. In every congregation, there are souls who are hesitating, almost decided to be holy for God. Okay? Very important to understand that. We have a message from the Lord to bear to the world, a message that is to be born in the rich fullness of the Spirit's power. Let our ministers see the need of seeking to save the lost. Direct appeals are to be made to the unconverted. Can you see over and over again what you're hearing? Direct. What are you hearing? Direct. And? Personal. Okay? And I'll help you to understand how you do that. Okay? But I just want to underscore this. First of all, when you're making appeals, uh, please remember this. You need to make sure that an appeal is not an afterthought. When you're making your Bible study or you're making your sermon, all right, listen to me. First state a purpose for that Bible study or sermon. Try to capsulize. Try to, in a short sentence, write to yourself the purpose of that particular message. What are you hoping to accomplish with that message? What's the purpose of it? Okay? Are you hearing me? What's the purpose of it? Okay? In other words, if you're going to preach about heaven, what's the purpose? What are you trying to accomplish with the subject of heaven? If you're going to preach about hell, what are you accomplishing? What are you hoping to accomplish? Okay? Uh, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish with that? So state a purpose. If you state a purpose, it will help you to stay focused with the subject matter, and it'll help you to better uh, write an appeal that's, that's appropriate for that sermon or that Bible study. Okay? So you keep the purpose in mind. All right? Now, so don't treat an appeal or call it as an afterthought, an addendum, something you add on. And in my, in my school, when we're teaching those people how to make appeals, uh, we actually go th with them. We listen to their sermons, and uh, they're supposed to make an appeal, and then we explain to them why the appeal was not hitting the mark. Okay? Because here's an important thing that you need to understand. You can have a very excellent sermon, but if you have a lousy appeal, it destroys your sermon. Okay? On the other hand, you can have a, a lousy sermon, but if you have an excellent appeal, it saves your sermon. Okay? Um, Don McIntosh, I was doing a meeting for him, and in, in, uh, you know Don McIntosh from AFCO? I was doing a meeting for him in Wichita, and <laughs> he's a funny character. I think I laughed more there with him than I've laughed for years. But anyway, I got a lot of medicine because it said that Mary Hartbrink goes like a medicine. And so, so I said, Don, uh, we got to get these people to make decisions. All right, you do it. Okay. <laughs> so he was, um, 
Sabbath morning he was preaching and he finished a sermon. But he, he just rambled on and was not making an appeal. So I said, uh, I was sitting down the front row, so I went, appeal. So rather than uh, noticing and, you know, he said, what? <laughs> make the appeal, Mac. He wants me to make an appeal. So he went and made an appeal. <laughs> and he got the decisions. But sometimes what happens is that if you plan your sermon and you are not thinking about the appeal, then when you get to the appeal, you, you remember you meet, need to make an appeal, and your appeal is not potent. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? You hear me? So you have to be thinking about this appeal. So whatever you're, you're going to be preaching on, you've got to be thinking about that. All right, so write it, write it down. I would write it down if possible. Now, what's important also when you're given Bible studies or sermonizing, you need to reach two aspects of the human mind. Okay, the intellect and the what? The emotions. Now, you know, it's interesting. Recently I heard a commentary, and I wish I, I, I had uh, tracked it down. Because it was about a man who got a heart transplant, but it was a mechanical heart. It was just recently, last year. A new mechanical heart that they've devised. And what's interesting about that is that they were asking him about his feelings. And he said he had no longer had any feelings. Which was interesting, because most of the time we think of the heart as just a, an organ, you know. But it was demonstrating that this man who had a mechanical heart now did not have the same empathies that he used to have when he had a heart. So there's more to this heart thing than we understand. What do you say? Amen. Okay. But the counsel is, the counsel is, we must reach the intellect and the emotions. Let me explain what I'm saying. Many times, uh, you have people who are, are very articulate and quick on their feet and can give you, spout off all sorts of texts of the Bible and explain the Bible, etc. They are reaching the intellect, okay? All right? But when it comes to getting people to respond to that, they don't have an appeal. Well, the appeal is general. Therefore, even though they reach the intellect, they have not reached the, the heart, okay? And the thing is this, with the mind, people believe, but with the heart, they follow, okay? And please remember this, guys, great conviction, great action, little conviction, little action, okay? In other words, the intellect must be educated but the heart must be reached, and it's, it's in this area where people make a decision uh, that may completely alter their lives. And many of you have sat in school where information has been given to you, but that's all it has been. It's just what? Information. But what has Change your life is not the information, is that which has reached your heart. What do you say? Mm -hmm. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. In other words, uh, it, it goes along with human relationships. You can know information about a certain person, but information about that person does not change you. It's when the emotions get involved that changes come. Is that true? Yes or no, girls? Come on, girls. Are you with me? Okay. Huh? Yes. Yeah, you see, if you reach the head, that's all you get. If you reach the heart, you get everything. Right? Is that true? Is that true? All right. Boys, remember this. If the girl reaches your head, that's all she gets. If he, she reaches your heart, she gets a pocketbook. <laughs> Was that true? <laughs> I want you to remember this. The Bible doesn't say, give me your mind. The Bible says, give me your heart. Okay. Give me a what? Heart. Your heart. All right? So, when you're dealing with appeals and sermonizing or Bible studies, it's important to give the information, but more important it is to reach the heart. All right? Capish? So, the body of the information reaches the intellect, but the, the appeal reaches the heart. And that's the purpose. All right. Now, the whole message must be an appeal to the heart. The intellect must be informed and the heart touched. Both are necessary to reach a person entirely. All right? Now, notice, notice this statement, which is quite interesting. Notice it says, let me get out of your way. Uh, my husband, this is Ellen White writing. My husband would give a what? Doctrinal what? Okay, so that reaches the what? The mind. Then I would follow with a what? Of considerable melting my into the of the does my husband sowed and I watered the seed of truth and God did give the increase. Quite revealing, what do you say? Huh? Can you see that? Yes, ma'am. That's not an appeal. Okay, so it has to be That's a conclusion. Or a commitment. See, okay, let me explain what she said so for the recording. She says, if you're given a Bible study, and then in the, there's a question at the end that says, uh, I understand that the seventh day is the Sabbath day of the Lord. Okay, is that an appeal? And I said, no, that's a conclusion. You're simply finding out if the person, intellectually speaking, has understood the particular point. But that has not reached the heart. It has only reached the, the mind. Okay. Now what you have to do is make an appeal. And that's why I wrote that book with stories for appeals. Okay. Uh, because a lot of people don't, don't understand that it's not the question. You can, ask, you can ask general questions. Did you understand that? Yes. And you get a lot of yeses. Okay. But that's an appeal. For example, if I'm going to get an appeal for the Sabbath, just an instance. Sometimes I don't make an appeal for Sabbath. 
Because as I'm dealing with people and they're coming and finally they come to the Sabbath, to them it's a big change. And sometimes what I do is this. I'll say, suppose you and I came to the judgment. And while at the judgment, God asked me, why did you go to church on Saturday and not Sunday? I would have to say, well, Lord, first of all, when you created the earth, you rested on the seventh day, Saturday. Adam and Eve rested on the seventh day, Sabbath. All of your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, kept the Sabbath. Moses and the Israelites were reinstated in keeping the Sabbath. You wrote it down the tables of stone as a memorial of your creation and your deliverance. Then Jesus, when you came to the earth, that's the day you went to church. And your disciples, you taught them by example. And that's why they went to church on Saturday. So Lord, the reason why I went is because of all these examples. Okay. Now, suppose then the Lord turns to you and asks you the question, why did you go to church on Sunday? Tell me, who in the Bible can you find as your example? And I leave it there. Okay. Okay, so what, what have I done? I simply brought to their attention the reality that all of those in the scriptures, the Lord himself and everybody gave us an example. And the question is, who do you have for an example? See, so I leave them there because I will come back later on and bring other points, see? Now, if I know that, that, that this person has already come through, then I'll give them illustrations of people who have, for example, one illustration I have is about a certain individual in the island of Guam who was a, uh, handling a tourist business. And the time came when I visited that person. And the question that was raised and uh, the, the challenges that were presented to me was, if I, if I do what you say, then I'm going to have to claim bank bankruptcy. And I said, if you do what I say or if you do what God says, which one? And they said, well, I, if I do what God says. So then he presented me his challenges. Number one, I take care of all the, the you know, of, of, of tourists uh, who come. Uh, and the, the biggest time is on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, of course. And then he said, I have 13 contracts with 13 hotels. And uh, I cannot be responsible just dropping those things. And I have uh, so many employees and their families. I cannot be responsible just think of myself. Okay, so he has some, several challenges. And so I asked him, what's more important to you? Your business or your salvation? And he said, my salvation. And I said, I don't know how God will work it out, but trust God, put it, put it in God's hands. He said, all right. We knelt down together and we prayed. And he decided to be baptized. Later on, he called me. Two years later, I think, he called me. And he said, uh, gave me his name and said, do you have a minute? I said, sure, do you remember me? Of course I do. So then he said, you remember? And then he told me what had happened. 
how God had overruled, how he got to the place where he turned over the 13 contracts and they did all these things and how God blessed him. Okay, so I have that, that story there. So I use stories of people who have met challenges, but God overruled and God blessed them. And I present that in a way that finally I, I make an appeal to them. If God blessed them, can God bless you? Can God take care of you? Will you, what would keep you then from following the Lord? And that's the key question. What's the question? What would what? Keep you. Is there anything that would keep you from following the Lord? Okay. Right, write that question down. All right. Is there anything that what? Would keep you. Okay. So you have to present that question. Because after you present the stories that touch the heart. All right. Then the heart is touched. Now you have to engage that heart to make a decision. You see, when it comes to this arena, folk, it doesn't matter how intelligent or educated people are. In a spiritual arena, it's just like anything else. If you go to a doctor who's, who has a specialist in certain areas, generally speaking, that doctor may know a lot about other things, but they're very careful and not giving their opinions on other fields that they are not very well acquainted with. Okay? And so, when it comes to the spiritual arena as well, physicians may be very well up on, on the most uh, uh, modern techniques of science and all that, but when it comes to the spiritual area, they recognize that just as they train in specialties, that other people are trained in other specialties. And so, they have a tendency to defer to the person that they assume is spiritual, to help them to understand what decisions to make in that area, okay? So, when it comes to this arena, folk, uh, the spiritual guide is the one that has to encourage and help the person understand what is their uh, decision that needs to be made. Okay? Do you understand that? All right. Now, uh, it says there must be a practical application to the heart and making earnest appeals that will reach the heart. Okay? Practical and? Earnest appeals. Okay, the word earnest. What does that mean? Hmm? Okay, let me give you a, let me give an example. Suppose I'm studying about heaven. Okay, we're studying about heaven. All right. I just finished a sermon on heaven, and, and now I'm I'm gonna make the conclusion, not the appeal, but the conclusion. Okay. Today we studied about heaven, and you see all the things that God has provided for you. How many of you would want to go to heaven? Okay. Well, what kind of appeal was that? Okay. Now, an appeal. When I was a young boy, my little sister died. I loved her. She was the, the treasure of our home. We were five boys and one girl. And we all would fight as to who would hold her. And then she died. And it was just devastating to us. And I remember a lady coming to us. And she pat me in the head and she said, don't worry, Luisito, your sister is in heaven. Oh, how I longed to go there to be with her. It just broke my heart that I could not be with my sister. And I wanted to be with her, but I couldn't. And that thought bothered me for years. Until finally one day I began to read what we have read tonight. And I discovered that there is such a place as heaven. 
and that there is a way to get there. Jesus said, I go and what? Prepare, Prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will what? I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, friend, I want to be there. What about you? Do you want to be there? Obviously, God wants you to be there because He's preparing a place for you. He described all these wonderful things. But what if you decide that you don't want to be there? Oh, it would break the heart of God. But friend, tonight, do you want to be there? Is that your desire? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so what have I haven't done? Hmm? Okay. Is there a difference, yes or no? Huh? Okay, so there's a difference between just a mental assent, and that's what happens with many Bible studies. We just get people to make a what? A mental assent. And then when we finish the Bible study, and, and we think that people want to get baptized, they say, thanks so much, buddy, and that's where it ends. Correct? Why? Because the right appeal is not made. And the next class that we're going to do, give are going to be dealing with the dynamics, okay, how the Spirit of God works and how you cooperate with that Holy Spirit. What time are we supposed to finish here? 11.45. Huh? 11.45. 11.45? Guess what? It is 11.45. But let me, let me uh, go to th uh, three things about an appeal that is important, and then come back for the next classes and we'll... Uh, get you up to up to par, okay? Here, okay? When you're making an appeal, public appeal, there are three things to consider. Number one, what? What is it I'm asking these people to do? If the subject is about heaven, why was the subject presented? What should the listener do with it? Okay, so in the appeal, they should have the verbiage. The what? The wording as to what is it that you wanted these people to do with it? Oh, friend, do you want to go to heaven? Is that your longing? Do you desire to be there? Okay, do you understand? All right, and how? How will these, they indicate the response? How what? How will they indicate the response? A raising of the hand, the standing, the going to the altar, the filling out of the decision card. Okay, number three, when? when they should respond. Example, oh friend, is it not time for you to give your heart to Jesus? Have you noticed the advertisement on television? They're advertising for something for 19.95, and if you, if you buy it, we'll even send this to you, and this to you, and this to you, included in the package. You know what I'm talking about? The advertisement that they're trying to sell you something on television? What do they tell you to do? Call when? Now. Why do you think they say call now? Yeah, because if they don't decide now, it won't happen later. Okay? Yes, sir. I have a question. Yeah. Would you say, would you raise your hand uh, when people are there? Like you say, how many of you would like to give your hearts to Christ, put your hands? Everybody's going to put their hands up. What you have to do is you have to phrase, that's what I'm saying, you have to phrase your appeal depending upon what you want to accomplish. Obviously, I'm not going to say, how many of you want to go to heaven? If I ask the question, how many want to go to hell? <laughs> how many are going to raise your hand? So if I say, how many want to go to heaven? Everybody will raise their hand. But you want to be more specific. And if you notice, when I'm dealing with it, always deal with the first person. With what? First person. First person. Don't say we, us. 
say it. You, I. Okay. As God is speaking to your heart, as you have heard the presentation tonight, and as the Spirit of God is working on your heart, will you respond to Him? Is there anything that would keep you from giving your heart to Him, from saying yes to the Lord? Okay, so you are being more specific and more direct. That's why it says direct and personal. personal. Okay. All right. The difference is all of us want to go to heaven. Is that true? That's general. Do you want to go to heaven? That's specific, personal. All right. So here you have those three presentations. And uh, may God bless you. As you make those appeals, practice your appeals. Write them down. Then get up in front of a mirror and see if it touches your heart. If it doesn't touch your heart, <laughs> rewrite it again. Okay? Yeah, you can use songs, etc. All right, let's stand together. Let's have prayer. And uh, with the next class, we'll get into the personal appeals, how you do it, what you do, what to look for, how the Spirit of God convicts the heart, and... Uh, the objections that people bring up and how to deal with these objections and all that. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us clear guidance in your counsel as to how to become successful in our ministry by making personal, direct, unwavering reliance upon you. Bless each one here. May they become more effective in reaching hearts, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.